0: Let me say another good morning to you. Thank you, Garrett, for leading us in that great modern hymn. Thank you, Wilson, for leading us in prayer this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, you'll know that we've already... Spent a couple of sermons in this still new year uh, back in January in the book of Hebrews. You're near the end of your Bible if you're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. You listen and and look if you've got your copy of Scripture there. And most of all, we'll just give careful attention to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Who's theirs? was the angels. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Hebrews 1 verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Let's keep reading, but you can have a seat. So we're in verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And, verse 13, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, indeed. Let's bow for prayer. Take just a brief moment invite you to pray silently. Lord, You are God in heaven, and we are here on earth. We would let our words be few. We would not be foolish to rush into Your presence with babbling like the pagans do as we think again back to the Lord's Prayer. But Father, we also would remember that in Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, you are our Father and that you do invite us to come. So we come to you this morning. We pray for your help, Lord, in our weakness. Please help us. Lord, already already in this service, we've touched on the fact and we want to touch on it again, Lord, that we are in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus shed for sinners on the cross. That we as believers every day, we confess our sins. We thank you for the heart of the gospel, which is that Jesus on the cross bore the wrath of God, satisfied, propitiated the Father's wrath. Lord, help us this morning to focus on Jesus. We pray in His name, Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, the title this morning, the title of the sermon is, Angels in the Outfield. Angels in the Outfield, it's, it's, an, uh, it's one of those mornings where I give you an all, alternative. So the uh, other sermon title that you could go with, if you like, is Jesus, Superior Son. Jesus, Superior Son, or you could stick with the one that I gave you first. That'd be fine. Sometimes you just need to uh, keep reading a little bit to find the application of a text. So especially in the letters of the New Testament, like this letter that we're looking at this morning, the letter to the Hebrews, or Paul's various, Paul wrote 13 of the New Testament letters. Sometimes you just need to keep reading a bit to find the the so what. Would you look with me at chapter 2? And what I want to point out to you is that the uh, the payoff, if you will, The Hebrews chapter 1 comes in the first four verses of chapter 2. Did you notice this with me? Therefore, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, So you could say that with our title, Angels in the Outfield, or Jesus Superior Son, and with our text, Hebrews chapter 1, you could say that right here at the beginning, we see the application. Right here at the beginning, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2 applies what has been said in chapter 1. As I said, sometimes you just, especially in the letters, sometimes you just need to keep reading. Okay, what's... What does this mean for my life? What he's saying here, what is, this, what is this doctrine? What is the theology about Jesus Christ that he's talking about? What does that have to do with, you know, with my family or with work or with Monday morning? And so you could, we could appropriately bring in any part of the book of Hebrews. You could bring in, uh, you don't have to turn there, but how about chapter 13? Here's where he gets to some nitty-gritty nitty things. How about this? Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of truth. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And so on and so on. We know that these letters are meant to be read in their entirety. That's why one of the greatest things that you can do on your own for for private worship or for family worship is sometimes just to take 15 minutes, or in this case, maybe it's 30 or 25, and to read the letter through in its entirety or to to press play on, on the audio and to listen to the entirety of the letter. Because again, of course, that was the main way that the local churches would have received these letters would be to have them read in their gatherings in their entirety. So they would have known, what's the payoff? But friends, there is, of course, a problem if the only question we ask, and this is a problem with the American church because we can be so pragmatic. I don't want to think as much, just tell me what we need to do. We can have a problem if all we say is, just let me get to the nitty gritty. Just give me the payoff. Well, no, it's not as though, listen to me, it's not as though Hebrews chapter 1, which does lead into chapter 2, there's the payoff, but it's not as though the foundation in chapter 1 is merely a foundation to get to the real matter. No, this is actually where it's at. This is simply about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know that's what the Gospel is, right? Jesus is the Gospel. What is the Gospel? Jesus Christ. A right understanding of His person and His work. Who He is and what He has done. And you don't have to go past chapter one to get that, to get the gospel. Friends, we are, we are in danger as believers that we might too easily, we might too easily be lazy in how we hear the word of God in the gospel. And this passage calls us today to give closer attention to what we have heard to what we have already heard, to give repeated and closer attention to what? To the gospel. To the gospel. And what is that again? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Two things. First of all, this will be more than the second, more attention given than to the second. First of all, it will be the deity of Christ. And then second, angels. And then we want to synthesize. And put it all together. okay. So we'll put it all together at the end. That's going to be very important. That'll be about 1.30 p.m. We're going to do the deity of Jesus Christ. And then we're secondly going to do the angels. Okay, so first of all, let's notice the deity of Jesus Christ. And by the way, among many other places, just in chapter 1, Just in chapter one alone, this is just one example, would be verse eight. As we think about the deity of Jesus Christ, but of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So, true story, boys and girls, true story. In the 4th century, Emperor Theodosius denied the deity of Christ. When his son, Arcadius, was about 16, he made him an equal partner in the rule of the empire. You've got the 4th century, you've got Emperor Theodosius, you've got his son, Arcadius, who was 16, and the emperor says to his son, I'm going to make you co-equal with me. Among the noblemen who assembled to congratulate him on this occasion was a bishop named Amphilochus. He made a splendid address to the emperor and was about to leave when Theodosius exclaimed, What? Do you take no notice of my son? The bishop then went up to Arcadius, which is the boy, the 16-year-old boy, and putting his hands upon his head, he said, The Lord bless you, my son. The emperor was roused to fury by this sight, and he exclaimed, What? Is this all you're going to do? Is this all the respect that you pay to a prince that I have made of equal dignity with myself? And what did the pastor, the pastor was there at the party, at the celebration. What did he say to the emperor? Amphilochus replied, Sir, do you so highly resent my apparent neglect of your son? because I do not give him equal honors with yourself? Then what must the eternal God think of you who has allowed his co-equal and co-eternal son? You have degraded his proper divinity in every part of your empire. You're so up in arms that I did not give your 16-year-old son that I did not say, oh, I bow down to you as, as Lord, as emperor. But you, sir, you, sir, have denied that the Son of God is what? Is... Divine. Do you see? That's actually the, the, the most appropriate way to speak of this is the divinity of the Son. The divinity of the Son. But it's perfectly fine to say what we typically say is the deity of Christ. And of course, what do we mean by that? I think we know, but it never hurts to make sure that we know when we say the deity of Christ is that Christ, Jesus Christ, is God. He is the Son of God. And we see that so clearly here in Hebrews chapter 1. Just look at it again with me as we think about the deity of Christ. Verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by by the prophets. But in these last days, that's significant the New Testament says about our days. know that, right? In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Remember our story, our true story? Why don't you show highest honor to my Son? Why don't we uh, show highest honor to the Son of God? Through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. You think about passages like John chapter 1, listen, or what Pastor James preached not long ago, 1 John chapter 1, or Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe. Who upholds the universe? The sun. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. By the way, the things attributed to the Son are things that are reserved only in the Bible for God. Those things that are here said of the Son are things that are reserved for God. Oh, and don't miss this, middle of verse 3. After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Do you know Him today? As the old song says, do not turn Him away. No, no. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son. Today I have begotten You. Look at verse 5. Look at that. How do we answer that? Let's interact with our author here. Whether it be Paul or whoever it is, let's interact with him. In your your mind, how how do we answer? Let's do him the favor of following his argument closely. And when he asks, when he poses this question for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, did they have begotten you? Would you answer that in your mind? And I'll answer it for us because I'm sure we could agree, none of them. To state the obvious, right? He's got a lot of quotations here in 5 through 14. And these are primarily from the Psalms because the Psalter, the Psalter is the hymn book of the people of God and the Psalms, they were the prayer book and the hymn book of Israel and they, in many ways, they should be for the church as well. And, and they did not have books back then like we have, at least not as many. And so they would have these memorized. And he's bringing to their memory in the gathering the portions of the songs that they knew. Again, most of these are from the Psalms. And what is he saying? He's taking stuff from the Old Testament before Jesus became incarnate. Before the Son of God came in human flesh and He's saying these things that have to do with God, He's saying them about whom? Not about angels, but about the Son. And so this is the big idea. This is the big idea. The Son is superior. The preeminence of the Son. Do you know that this morning? The supremacy of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of the Son. The Son is Superior. No, to to go with our author in verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Answer, none of them. Full answer, but he does say these things about Christ. He does. He does say these things about the Son. Now, there are at least five or six different ways that you can see the deity of Jesus Christ in this passage. And we've already pointed out verse 8. Look at it again. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, what? O oh God is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness i mean the things that are said in hebrews chapter 1 you just have to be intellectually honest and just say if if you reject what's in here then just just be honest and say you reject the authority of the scriptures because it's so plain here it's so it's really so magnificent and for the believer for the believer it thrills the soul it thrills the soul to see jesus christ so clearly spoken of here his primary argument in this book is the is that the new covenant is better than the old covenant? The new covenant is better, enacted upon promises as it is upon the blood of Jesus Christ. And so to deny this, to not see the beauty, is just to say that you deny that the scripture is the word of God. Verse 10 You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. Who, of whom is he speaking? He's speaking of Jesus the Son. Hey, you know, back then, God spoke to our fathers, as he said. God spoke to our fathers, how? Through the prophets. But today, in the New Covenant, God has spoken to us, to us by his Son. Which is to say that Jesus Christ speaks. Jesus Christ, in the Gospels and through his Apostles, In the epistles like this one, Jesus Christ speaks and chapter two is saying, oh, how dare we? Do we know that we could possibly be in danger even as believers of turning a deaf ear to the gospel that we have already heard? He says, no, don't do this. Don't do that. If this, then that. If the lesser, then surely the greater. If God spoke to our father's in the Old Covenant, through the prophets, and if Jesus is the prophet par excellence, then do not turn a deaf ear to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't turn a deaf ear to Jesus. He is God of very God. Of the same essence and nature and substance of God, we confess and we believe this morning in one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, Holy, Holy Holy. You, Lord, verse 10, laid the foundation of the earth. Jesus Christ is God's agent of creation and providence and redemption. Man, that's everything. Creation, providence, governing the world, redemption, consummation, consummation. Everything is in and through Jesus Christ. All glory be to God. All glory be to God. May Jesus Christ be praised. There's a book that uh, I've appreciated, although I strongly disagree on certain points with our good brother R.C. Sproul. I've appreciated so much of his work. And I think that just shows you how much you can love somebody if you just can be honest and say, you know, you have certain points of disagreement. That's not a bad thing. That can be a healthy thing. So I have strong points of disagreement on minor issues. There's a book that he had years ago that's called Now That's a Good Question. And uh, he just took 30 questions from, from real-life believers about the Bible. Uh, and so he turned it into a book called Now That's a Good Question. It's, it might be a little bit dated, but it's still really good. If you get one version, it's got a picture of R.C. Sproul in the front. At that particular time, he was doing something weird with his hair. He had like a perm and... Uh, And it's got a picture of him sitting in an armchair because he's the theologian. But one of the questions that was posed to R.C. is this. I want you to listen to this. What is the most crucial issue confronting the church today? So what did he say to that question? Now, what he answered is not the Bible, but we appreciate this, brother. What is the most crucial issue confronting the church today? I'm convinced, Sproul said, that the most crucial issue for today's church is its own belief in the deity of Christ. This may seem, listen, this may seem like an obvious truth. After all, Christ's deity is foundational to the Christian faith. But in the history of the church, the issue of the deity of Christ has been on the center stage of conflict with the church for centuries. He says this, and that crisis is by no means over. In many cases, the issue is underground because there is still common courtesy. Here's what he means. He's going to go on to talk about how, especially in the last two centuries, you've had this this crisis of belief. You've got Darwin. You've got naturalism. And then closer to our day, you've got relativism, postmodernism and all these isms, right? And he said there's, there's still vestiges of common courtesy. And this actually has happened a lot over the past 10 decades. For you have a pastor, maybe in a mainline church, whatever that is, you know, PCUSA or, or Baptist churches are absolutely included. And you've got a pastor who himself does not believe in the deity of Christ. But he, out of common courtesy, or she, out of common courtesy, uh, they will teach so as not to ruffle feathers because common courtesy says that the world understands, even the world understands, that's actually part and parcel of the Christian faith. So unbelievers understand that the deity of Jesus Christ is, is just right at the simple heart of Christianity. But in our in our Christian academies and in our Christian seminaries and in our Christian colleges and 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 in our Christian churches, which are prove themselves not to be actual churches. And for this is why this is so important. The issue is not to be negative this morning. The issue is not to just not to just cast aspersion or to throw stones, but to say not we must not take this for granted. We must not take this for granted. Because again I remind you that the payoff of this in the first part of chapter 2 is lest we drift away. Oh, how many people today are drifting away, drifting away from something complex and scientific because it's hard to understand, no, drifting away from the simplicity of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 1 says to us over and over and over again the divinity of the Son. The divinity of the Son. No, Sproul says he thinks the biggest issue for today is Christ. Christ. Do we affirm His Lordship and His deity? What about you? What about you? Do you affirm the Lordship and the deity of Jesus Christ? My friend, you cannot be saved from the wrath of God if you do not. We as the church must affirm the deity, and of course, not just affirm, gladly affirm and worship. Worship. No, this is fuel for the fire of worship and of mission. We affirm gladly, wholeheartedly, without reservation, the deity of Christ. We affirm the word of God. We love the word of God. We receive the Word of God as precious and as inerrant. And we know that Jesus is the Word of God. He is the exact, He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. He is God of very God. I think Sproul might be onto to something. What's the biggest problem? Well, the biggest problem, no. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is what this chapter is about. Well, I told you that one was longer, okay? The deity of Christ. Now, second is angels. The second thing is angels. And here's what I want you to see. Pay close attention to this. The way I've just been talking about the deity of Jesus Christ, but to be true to the text, that's what we want to do. To be true to the text and to the argument of the text that he's doing the way he is putting forward the divinity of the Son is in comparison with angels. Okay, so he's not talking about the deity of Christ in the abstract. No, if there's a key verse this morning, beloved, it's verse four. Okay, so there there's the sermon. Our text is Hebrews chapter one. We're getting ready to talk about angels in the outfield, Jesus the superior Son, and the key verse. The key verse out of these fourteen verses is verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So we joke, and there is a movie, The Angels in the Outfield, and there's a, a guy and his friend, I guess, who who sneak into baseball games for the California angels and they're terrible at that particular time. The angels and this, these buddies, they sneak into games, even though they're so bad. And, and one of these characters is wishing and hoping that his family will be reunited and get back together because his father um, has been widowed. And so you, you get, you get this, what our culture gives and it's, What our society gives us is this sappy stuff about angels, right? You know, touched by an angel. And for the last 35 years or so, we've got all, you know, you can watch not only in Little House on the Prairie, but you can watch Michael Landon uh, and, and I guess, being an angel in another show. And it's all this stuff about angels. and, And what we don't want to do is to throw the baby out with the bathwater, even though our culture, by and large, gets it wrong when it comes to angels we don't want to dismiss dismiss angels because they're biblical. And again, the point here in this text, in the argument, what matters is what the text says and what it teaches. And verse 4 is the key. Just look at it again. Look at it again. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then having brought up angels for the first time in verse 4, in verses 5 through 14, not to mention chapter 2, not to mention chapter 2, but in verses 5 through 14, he explains what he kind of threw out there in verse 4. And he strings together, in a very intentional way, not not just stringing together, all of these Old Testament quotations, and it's the repeated refrain. We've already looked at it in verse 5. Remember verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say? And remember our answer, none of them. But He did say it to the Son. And the same thing in verse 13. Look at verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The point here that he's making is not that angels are bad. He's not even saying, he's not even saying, make sure you don't have idols in your lives. That's true. He's not even saying that. Make sure that you don't have idols and worship the true God who is Jesus Christ. And so don't worship money or greed and and don't worship angels. That's true. That's true. But the point is that angels are good. The point is that angels are are wonderful. They're created beings of God. The point is something that's really good. listen to me, and Jesus is better. Jesus is so much better. The superior son. The point is not... To downgrade angels, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, look, look at angels. Verse 14, look at verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Well, what is an angel? Well, there's your definition right there in verse 14. An angel is a ministering spirit sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit Salvation. Or J.I. Packer says this, he says, if I'm going to summarize angels, listen to this, he he says, Packer, if I'm going to summarize what are angels all about, here it is, if at any time we as believers stand in need of their ministry, we shall receive it. And as the world watches Christians hoping that that we will fall, the world watches Christians church and Christians hoping that we'll stumble. Angels are watching believers in hopes of seeing grace triumph in our lives. See? So basically what Packer's saying is there's a lot of mystery to angels. The Bible talks a lot about angels. We we can't know a whole lot of specifics, but we can know that if at any time we stand in need of their ministry, we shall receive it. Perhaps the Bible hints, the Bible clearly hints, that at the end of life, at death, God allows angels to minister there. These types of things. We just don't know a ton of specifics. We do know that our culture gets it sappy and and wrong many times. But we know clearly that he's writing here in Hebrews chapter 1 primarily to Jewish believers and that this book is also for us, it's to us, it's the Word of God through Christ to us and for us. And as he's writing to these Jewish believers, who were maybe entranced with angels, he says, angels are good. But because you hold angels in such high regard, let me show you how much superior is the Son. How much superior is the Son? We've seen the deity of Christ. Christ. We've seen angels, and by the way, again, the definition is verse 14 and verse 7 of angels. You see that in verse 7 of the angels. He says, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. Uh, Angels don't have bodies. Okay, Angels don't have bodies. They don't get married. The good angels, kind of like Adam and Eve, angels were also put on probation, as one man has said, kind of like humans. Angels also were put on probation. Some angels fell. Some angels did not fall. And they worship God. Myriads upon myriads of angels worship God, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, which will be our highest honor and joy forever. We've seen the deity of Christ. We've seen angels. And I want to synthesize it and I want to bring it together. Thank you for your attention. And I want to do this by saying 773. Look at the text and think about this. 773. 773. What do I mean? I was helped to see this, and I think it's beautiful. Hebrews chapter 1. Remember that verse 4 is the key verse. And now think about 773. Verses 5 through 14, which is what? Which is his exposition, his explanation of what he kind of threw out there in verse 4. The sun has become much superior to angels, and then he explains that. In 5 through 14, he gives seven quotations from the Old Testament. Okay? Most of them are from the Psalms, from the Psalter. Verses 5 through 14, seven quotations from the Old Testament. You know what the number seven represents in the Bible? Sufficiency, completeness. So it's it's no mistake here. We have a sufficient Savior. We have a complete Savior who has no need. He has no need to continue to offer sacrifices. You need a sacrifice for your sins. And what you don't need to do today is to go home and offer a bull or a ram or a goat. You need to look to Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation this is the heart of the gospel, as we talked about recently on Wednesday night. What's the heart of the gospel? What's the heart of the gospel? Propitiation. Jesus Christ on the cross bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners. Seven the number of sufficiency, of completeness, of fullness. It is also therefore no accident that in verses 2 through 3, notice this, Notice this, this is not me trying to be interesting or trying to do weird numbers. This is in the text, friends. In verses 2 through 3, seven things, seven brief statements are spoken of the superior son. The superior son, there are seven very brief statements spoken of him. So not only in verses 5 through 14 are there seven Old Testament quotations, but first of all, in 2 through 3, Verses two through three, seven brief statements about the preeminence of Jesus. But in these last days, do you know when you're living? Do you know when you're living, friend? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Praise Him. Praise Him. After making purification for sins, He what? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By the way, in verse 3, in the Old Testament, God had arranged all this furniture for the temple, for the tabernacle prior to that. All this furniture. The priest never sat down because there were always sacrifices to be made. But it says of the Son, not of angels, but of the Son, it says when He made purification for sins, He sat down. Unlike, unlike all of those other priests, because all of those other sacrifices could not avail. God ordained those sacrifices. He ordained them to point forward to the Lamb of God, because this sacrifice is enough. This is enough for you. The sacrifice of Jesus is enough for the worst of sinners. The sacrifice of Jesus is enough for the worst of sins. Go to the fountain. Drink from the fountain. The fountain, the blood of Christ, cleanses from all sin. He said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, I'm going to give you living water. Sir, give me this water. Where can I find this water? No, you don't understand, ma'am. You've had five husbands and the one you live with now is not your husband. You need the living water that I give. You need the water that springs up to eternal life. You and I need Jesus Christ. We don't need steps. We don't need fixes. We need to not forget the gospel. We need to remember the deity of Jesus Christ, to remember the superior Son. The superior Son. There are seven Old Testament quotations in 5 through 14. There are seven things predicated of the Son in verses 2 through 3. It is surely no accident. And I said to you, 773. 773. Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God had three things that he kept separate. And they were very important. Listen to me. They were the offices of prophet and priest and king. And they were important individual offices in the Old Testament that God ordained and they were separate as i said but in jesus christ by intention of god they are brought together and so that when we read verses 1 through 4 and again when we compare this to colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 and john chapter 1 and 1st john chapter 1 when we read this we should read it it would be very appropriate to read these seven things in verses 2 through 3 And to see Jesus Christ as our great prophet, priest, and king. Long ago at many times. And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the what? Verse 1, by the prophets. Man, there's a greater prophet that's come. And there was these priests in the old covenant who made sacrifice after sacrifice. But man, a better priest has come. And Jesus is better. And the new covenant is superior to the old. And Jesus is better than Moses. And He's superior to angels. And His sacrifice is finished. Unlike the priest of old, He did not stand. There was no seat for them. But He has what? As our what? As our great high priest. Middle of verse 3. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of on high it is finished prophet priest and king hebrews chapter 1 is all about those three things because it's all about jesus you know it's mainly about jesus as king that's what hebrews chapter 1 is mainly about the royal kingship of the son of david the son of god jesus christ but do not miss verse 3b don't miss 3b he made purification for sins He ascended. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's a perfect Savior. He will save you today. He will keep you believer to the end. He's the same yesterday, forever, today and forever. He will save you to the uttermost because of the blood that he shed. Because in these categories that God himself gave us in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king, he intentionally points us forward to see them fulfilled in our beautiful Savior. Therefore, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard Lest we drift away from it. It's too good to drift away from. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word thank you and praise you that in these last days you have spoken to us in and by your son help us to appropriately marvel yes yes help us not to turn away yes help us not to have gospel drift but even before that lord help us to worship and to be in awe. help us to make disciples Help us to go out in any small way that we can on, on mission and help us to worship. Help us not to say, oh, the deity of Christ, we know that. Forgive us, Lord. For we have sinned. Have mercy upon us. We are Your children through faith alone in Christ alone. Soli Deo Gloria, to Your glory.